Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge podcast. My name is Tom Neely, Housing Sector Lead at Berwick Partners. This is the podcast where we aim to discuss some of the key issues facing leaders. And today I was joined by Jonathan Higgs, Chief Executive of Raven Housing Trust. Raven Housing Trust was one of the first housing associations to share its anticipated costs of moving to net zero carbon. And we caught up with Jonathan to find out how Raven is thinking differently towards a net zero carbon target and how leaders and sectors need to think differently if they're going to achieve this goal. As always, if you like this episode, please do like and share with your networks. Jonathan, thanks ever so much for joining us on our Berwick Partners podcast, Emerge. Um, For the listeners, can you give us a brief introduction of yourself and and your organisation? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hi, everyone. Um, uh, Raven Housing Trust is uh, about 7,000 home housing association and we work across Surrey and Sussex. And we say we build homes and change lives, a uh, rather grandiose statement. But in the course of that, we, we, we manage uh, and own uh, predominantly general needs housing. We have some older persons housing and quite old traditionally sheltered schemes. Um, uh, we have some leaseholders, uh, as you would expect from a, a, an LSVT. Um, we have an active development program, so we build around about 200 homes a year, including homes for, for outright sale. And we do um, some commercial activity as well. So we're quite diverse in what we do, including the, the community investment work that's common to many associations and money advice and, and support and welfare advice, as well as digital inclusion, employment and training. So we're kind of a diverse offer, but predominantly a general needs housing association. Um, and I suppose our, our concerns at the moment, the, the things that occupy most of my time are a four and a half million pound transformation programme and a hundred million pound um, net zero carbon programme that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, I've been in the, the housing association sector for over uh, 30 years um, uh, and uh, started off in development, um, the development arm construction. Um, and then moved into being a chief exec after about 12 years uh, of that career and have worked in uh, community housing associations like Raven, but also in national housing associations, whereas a, a managing director for a while. Thanks, Jonathan. And you mentioned there just about your journey there, Jonathan. You've worked in housing for a number of years through different roles and then becoming office chief executive. What, why housing and why did you decide to take that journey um, up to chief executive? Yeah, um, uh, chat to someone the other day, but lots of us arrive in housing. We never get out. We never escape. Um, we just stay. I never envisaged I would end up in a housing association. Um, uh, and I have looked at other careers during the course of my time in housing, but nothing has appealed quite so much. Um, uh, what it offers, particularly at the the, the level that, that I work, is such a variety um, from talking to a, a resident about their complaint one day um, to talking to a minister about uh, a government policy and the sector's needs the next day to talking to funders about long-term finance and the credibility of the organisation to borrow money the next day. Um, so that that variety from um, uh, the, the very specific um, needs of an individual who may be very vulnerable to um, government policy, to, to uh, running a very large um, organisation with huge responsibilities, um, is it, I, I don't know where else I would get that, frankly. Um, uh, and, and we've got our challenges continue 
Um, so it, uh, the housing crisis has grown over the years pretty much on my watch. <laughs> so I feel a, a degree of responsibility to hang around and do something about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and what a great spirit, kind of environment to be in it with, it with it being such a purpose driven environment as well. And and, and sort of with, with that being said, you, you mentioned just at the beginning around your hundred million pounds net zero carbon budget. You, you have been yourself and as an organization, you were one of the first housing associations to publish your net zero data and also your SAT ratings. Can you share with us a bit about your journey and roadmap moving towards net zero carbon? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, we didn't know we were the first when we did it, I hasten to say. We kind of stumbled into it. I, I was asked a question and I answered it. And then it emerged that actually nobody else had shared that. So um, uh, I'm glad I didn't know at the time. Um, uh, I suppose our, our journey has been quite a long one, um, really. It's, it started back in kind of late 2019. And of course, it is still still rolling on. And I think our... <clears throat> Our approach has always been to try and do it from a, an informed, a well-informed position. And when we started, um, uh, we, we certainly couldn't have claimed that. So we got in um, uh, some experts to talk to our board um, and actually found it really a really easy conversation with our board. Um, uh, most housing association boards are, uh, are uh, 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 educated, well-informed people and they all watch the news. Um, uh, and they can all see the urgency of the issue. They just perhaps hadn't joined the dots on what they could do about it. So we got some external um, specialists in to talk to our board. Um, and then we got some external specialists to uh, produce the data that then helped us work out the scale of our challenge. So that, that happened kind of early 2020. And then uh, we brought that together with our board um, to look at um, what uh, I think the regulator calls kind of strategic trade-offs. Um, given that your business plan was already fully committed, here arrives a hundred million pound additional commitment, what gives? So th that kind of strategic trade-off conversation um, happened in, in kind of October 20 and then came together in a series of strategies in May 21, um, May this year. And then by, uh, by March next year, we'll have a a business plan that has been uh, with complete with refinancing and has been through conversations with our funders about about the flexibilities we need to, to approve that plan. So going from kind of 2019 to 2022 to get a a strategic view and a strategic plan um, with actually not an awful lot of doing, I hasten to say, you know, we, we've done one pilot on ground source heat pumps. If people are looking around for exemplar best practice, we, we're not it. We're starting, but we're starting from an informed planned position. And you talk about the, the informed planned decision that you're doing it. What, what would be your recommendation to senior leaders on, on moving forward their journey and their roadmap to net zero carbon? Um, I think the, uh, the key thing I, I probably say is to, to recognize that the, the rules have changed. I think as a sector, um, we're still largely playing by the old rules a lot of the time. So we often judge our success by how many new homes we've built. Um, when we look at merging with other organizations, we're looking at pension fund deficits rather than carbon liabilities. Um, when we're talking about staff, we're, we're talking about kind of 
uh, digital uh, awareness, digital training, actually carbon literacy, carbon training for all our staff will become equally important. So I think, I think there's a fundamental stand back and say the rules are different now and what does that mean for for how we do our, go about our business and the things we pay attention to um, and I think that kind of light bulb moment has come for us <laughs> um, and I think uh, it, uh, when that happens then a lot of other things make a lot more sense as you're working through your strategy and your operational plans. And you talked around carbon literacy and there's probably two questions which I'll ask the first one now you Boards are, like I say, uh, incredibly well informed and, and, and educated um, board members that you've got there. But how have you worked with them through the journey? Because carbon literacy, whether or how carbon literate they are as board members, but how have you worked through all the roadmap with them, but also got them on board with, with what your plans are? Um, I suppose uh, start from, from uh, to start with, we, we've done it early so before before we'd got the answers we engaged them in the problem in the in the challenge um, so i think uh, engaging them early um, helps um, rather than presenting them with a, a fate complete no one likes that but um, engaging them early helped us uh, doing it in a very open and discursive way um, rather than heavily laden with papers initially that helped um, and then making sure that they're they are well informed um, and 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 actually they they were anyway so when we were were talking to our board about our target there's a lot of conversation about what a net what is net zero carbon and we talked to them about our definition of it they were um, very keen to expand that definition to its widest possible sense in terms of embodied carbon in our existing homes so that we didn't think that knocking down one of our homes and replacing it with a zero carbon home was 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 a, a, an easy fix. There are liabilities um, uh, and costs to that demolition. Um, uh, and whilst we haven't cracked that yet, um, it's something that the, the board has challenged us on. So we've provided information and data, but they've asked those really challenging questions to force us to think more broadly about the solution and our approach. So um, I, th I think that uh, keeping them engaged hasn't been hard, if I'm honest. And the same with, with um, uh, my executive team, that has not been hard. They're sold on the, uh, the need. And once that happens, other things fall into place quite, quite easily. That's really interesting. And if you take it further down into a operational sense, as you say, they're the executives incredibly bought in, but it's their their leaders and their staff that will drive this this forward in, in your roadmap forward. There is a lack of kind of knowledge or, or kind of carbon literacy in 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 organisations in the UK. I mean, what what skills do you look for though from your senior leadership to ensure that you, they are the right people to take take you on that journey of the roadmap? Um, well, I keep using the word informed. Um, they have to be informed. So, so they have to understand the, the, the subject matter that we're dealing with. Um, and it's, it's not a static environment, you know, it's rapidly changing. So that's quite a challenge. So being informed is important. Um, one way in which they do that is to be well networked. 
So as a senior leader, um, you would expect senior leaders to be well networked anyway, but particularly around zero carbon. So um, because it is so fast moving, um, uh, they need to have their kind of finger on the pulse of who's who's doing what, where and when. So I, I look for that. Um, I look for a willingness to try things out. Um, the, the, there's a big conversation about no regrets technology. Um, and I, can't, I kind of think I'm not really bought into that. I understand entirely what, what they're saying, but it's if we all hang around waiting for a dead certain technology um, to be developed, who exactly is going to be developing it? Who is going to be trying it? Who is going to be learning from it? So there is a bit for me about our willingness to try things out. Um, we're, we're not a big organisation, so we have to be modest in our ambition. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, we have to try things. We have to do something, not just plan something. So that that willingness um, to, to move and try things and evaluate them, learn from them and move on is key. And then finally, um, a bit of what I do and, and others in the organization do, which is just advocate for the agenda, really, and and the, the different kind of particularly our residents, so different stakeholders in that agenda, but particularly our residents sometimes um, uh, because their voices are quite disparate, perhaps mm. don't get heard as much as they might. So um, I look for, for senior leaders that are, are good advocates. And you mentioned tech. Then, Jonathan, across the sector, there's been so much discussion around the right and wrong technology, um, how you're going to retrofit, how you're going to pay for it. Through all of that noise, how are you ensuring that your customer's voice is being heard? Um, uh, we talk to them and we, we, we listen to them. Um, uh, but it, 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 we have only just started that that journey. So we do that ourselves. So we um, uh, uh, articles um, uh, uh, printed and social media around the topic of zero carbon. We have been doing for some time. Where uh, when we get onto a specific project, we then um, uh, set about a project specific piece of consultation around the work that we're planning and. And, and then you start to realize um, that what you're proposing to do is something that is major in somebody's life. It's a major upheaval for somebody um, and, and their lives are going on at the same time. So the complexity of what is already quite often quite a complex project just multiplies as you try and accommodate the needs of every household and potentially every individual in every household. And that is the challenge that we've all got ahead of us. We're used to it. It's not like we don't do improvements to properties, but it is going to be a substantial upheaval for, for people in many, many cases. So um, communication, obviously, at the general level and at the project level. Um, and it goes on after the project is finished as well. So it, it doesn't just finish when you, you, you pay your final bill. There is ongoing work with residents. And we haven't got to that yet, but we know it is going to come and it's going to take uh, resource. The other thing that, that we're doing is participating in kind of collective conversations with residents. So we're part of Place Shapers and Place Shapers and TPAS have been doing a lot of work around this. And in fact, next week, 
they're doing a lot of work on a, a week's um, a, a series of events that is focused around resident needs and expectations of the car zero carbon agenda. So um, we participate in those national conversations with our residents as well. Um, and uh, specifically when we're doing projects, we're, we've started that conversation with our residents. And out of interest, Jonathan, what, what's your view, particularly with the customer in mind, what, what's your view around the affordability of homes, warm rents, and the impact that net zero carbon could have on, on your customers? Yeah, um, I could tell you my view. Um, uh, we, we did a, a piece of work with our residents, probably about two years old now, a major piece of listening. We called it voice of the residents and voice of the customer. And, um, uh, and, and the 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 most important concern for our residents was affordability that was it that came over strongly in so many conversations and it was top of our list so since then we've looked at arrange developing our services in a range of different ways to help address affordability um personally i see the zero carbon agenda uh, in a world where we're putting up rents by who knows, but, uh, but potentially um, uh, CPI plus 1% every year. Um, the one major contribution we can make um, in cash terms to the affordability of a resident is that is reducing the cost in use of their home. So in our modeling, uh, our average cost of, of energy, and this was, bear in mind, this was before the current um, uh, upheavals on gas prices, but the, um, the, the estimate um, cost reductions went from something like £470 a year to about £140 a year as a result of the change in, in moving our properties to our target um, carbon um, level. That's massive. I, I mean, the reality, of course, is most people will take that saving and improve comfort and warmth, but that is the potential. So I think that can make a big difference to, to people's lives. Um, my personal view is that's uh, it's going to be a hard enough sell um, to residents anyway, um, without saying that they're going to have to pay for part of the, the cost of this upheaval. Um, but also we can make a real positive contribution um, to their cost in use um, of their home. Not all of my board are sold on that, that reserving the position on that simply because we don't know with certainty quite what this is going to cost us yet. Mm. Um, so I'm not a fan of, of warm rents. Um, uh, even though you put the word warm in front of it doesn't necessarily make it more acceptable um, so uh, but but I, I we haven't got a firm uh, end position on it yet as an organization um, uh, and and we'll see how that that pans out over the coming years thank you and final question on on your journey Jonathan is, is over the past 18 months two years you and and, and the, every other organization has had to really balance multiple long-term strategic agendas along with clearly the pandemic. I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning with respect to, to working with your board, it's the strategic trade-off. Um, for chief execs listening to this, and what would be your advice to make sure that how do you continue at Raven to make net zero carbon a, a priority and ensure that progress isn't slowed down with the other strategic agendas that's on your table? Mm. Um, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a really good, really good question. That um, I, I think that the first thing is to have a, a real honest conversation about strategic 
priorities with the board and make sure they really understand what it means. So for us, um, what it will mean is a significant reduction in the number of additional affordable homes we can build. Um, so we have been building around 200 a year. That will dramatically reduce. Okay. We'll still be building a lot of homes, but they will be as replacements for those homes that we know that we do not want to retrofit because they do not make sense to do so. Um, so we'll still be very active in a development and regeneration sense, but the number of additional affordable homes will reduce. Well, board really has to say that's okay with us. You know, there's a housing crisis in the Southeast, need a lot more affordable homes. We're not going to be building as many of them as we have been. Um, so kind of very open conversation about that um, so that everyone's signed up to it. That's the first thing. So you don't get any kind of um, uh, later battles, <laughs> a bit of afters, um, when you already know what the priorities are. Um, the uh, the other, uh, the, the, the more general point is you have to make it part of everything that you do. It can't just be, here's development, here's customer experience, here's environmental. It has to be part and parcel of everything that you do. So, um, uh, border uh, uh, intending, we haven't done it yet, intending to make it a kind of integral part of every board report, for example. So, whereas we already have customer experience, so how is this piece of work that the board is considering impacting on our um, customer experience uh, objectives? Um, the same will be uh, true of uh, environmental sustainability. How is this going? What are the consideration, environmental considerations of this piece of, uh, of work you're asking us to consider? And I have to say also that equality, diversity and inclusion will be of that, of that um, kind of standard approach. So the board are looking to uh, kind of embed these critical parts of our work in everything that they do so that we keep it kind of front and center. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I, I genuinely found this, as, as I always do when you and I catch up, incredibly insightful and incredibly interesting. It sounds like you, not only have you got spinning a number of plates, but the, the net zero carbon journeys is something that that interests me incredibly. So before I before I let you go, uh, we like to finish this podcast with a with a few quick fire questions. Um, no pressure. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll get I'll get started. So what, what has been your most valuable leadership lesson you've learned? Um, that's, that's, that's an easy one. Um, surround yourself with brilliant people that make you look good. Um, that that's that that's what served me really well over the, it, it, the the people that you work with. Make make sure that uh, uh, first of all they're brilliant and that you get the best out of them. Well, they're allowed to be their best in the in the job that they're doing. Um, uh, and that makes your organisation brilliant as well. So um, that's quite an easy one. Brilliant. What, what advice would you give to an aspiring leader starting out on their journey? Um, th this, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how relevant it is for, for today's leaders, but I grew up in an environment where um, you're expected kind of, uh, uh, I, I would call it convincing driven advocacy. So you're expected to persuade people why you're right and, and this is what they should do. And actually, if you're, if you're aspiring to be a leader today, you've really got to uh, start with learning led inquiry. So you, you've got to be listening um, and distilling from what you hear 
are the right way forward and working with people to bring that alive rather than necessarily thinking you've got the answer and your job is to convince everybody of it. So there's a, f a, a fundamental shift in the way, in the expectations of leaders today. Fantastic. And just on that then, Jonathan, what, what do you believe to be the key leadership qualities required in today's world? Yeah, well, to make, well, make that happen um, requires a, a, a huge degree of emotional intelligence and, and, and kind of key to that is empathy. I think mm. so you understand the people that you're working with and you understand the jobs they're trying to do because you've listened to them and heard them and and then you're better able to to work with them and help them get to the right conclusions for themselves very often so that that emotional intelligence and empathy and then the, the final bit we, we've been talking a lot about at Raven is seeing round corners um, so how do you distill what's next how can you see what the next big thing is how it's going to land with your organization with your communities and residents and what it's going to ask of you and then positioning yourself to to make the most of it so that horizon scanning or seeing around corners is a is a key leadership quality um, you don't always get it right um, but you have to have that skill incredibly insightful thank you and final question Jonathan what one leadership book recommendation you give to the listeners um, yeah, well, you did tip me off on, on, on this one beforehand, Tom, so thanks for that. Um, I'm reading something uh, called Still Moving um, by Deborah Rowland, um, and it's about uh, how to lead mindful change. Um, and, it, and it's fascinating it, 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 to kind of uh, sum up her view of, of what a leader uh, should be doing. Um, and it really resonates with, with me. It's, it's allowing the parts of an organization to see the whole and allowing the whole to see the parts. So what you're doing through your listening and, uh, um, and, and, and coaching of your, your team is trying to understand what's going on on the periphery and then articulating what the center of the organization is trying to achieve. And you're doing it back the other way as well. So it's a, it really is a, 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 a an exercise in, in uh, expert communication, both listening and articulating. Um, and that really, in the modern world, um, uh, that's for me, I think the role of a senior leader. Ties in quite nicely with the, the qualities needed, as you mentioned. So Jonathan, thank you. Um, and as, a, as always, I found it incredibly insightful. So thanks for joining us on, on this podcast and, and look forward to seeing you soon. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Emerge Leadership Lessons from Berry Partners. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please like, rate and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.